You're listening to Special Relationships, a show about monetizing and maximizing your existing client relationships. Visit relationshipaudits.com for more information or contact details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome back to Special Relationships. I'm your host, a smith called Keith, and I'm here with two experts in finding hidden revenues that most companies don't pay as much attention to as they should. Measuring, managing and maximizing income from existing clients and customers instead of chasing new clients all the time. Kerry Evans and Simon Rintut's company, Relationship Audit, specializes in helping companies deliver maximum service to their customers and uncover new streams of revenue that sit right under their nose. In the last episode, we looked at how to reinforce your existing client relationships. And in this episode, we're going to investigate how you can use data to help you measure your success. What's in a number? So much of our business life is dependent on numbers. Profit, loss, headcount, days, months, quarters, years, stocks and shares, speed and size. But what about the numbers that measure our relationships? When we talk about measuring our business relationships, the conversation often turns to customers and then to Net Promoter Score or NPS. NPS became a fashionable way of applying a statistic to how successful companies are at keeping the customer satisfied. But when it comes to evaluating business relationships with clients and suppliers in a B2B setting, is it the right tool for the job? Is one number enough when we're talking about B2B? The idea that just one number is all you need to measure all of the complex relationships that a business cultivates discredits most of the hard work that your entire team puts into them. With me are Kerry Evans and Simon Rintut of Relationship Audits, who are experts in applying data to a company's relationships in order to paint a complex, accurate and actionable picture of the ecosystem around any business, so it can spot issues or opportunities and quickly deal with them. So welcome to you both, gentlemen. Hi there, Keith. Hi there, Keith. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. And uh, first of all, I just wanted just to get a quick summary from you of how NPS came into being. And if anyone's actually thinking of using it, what kind of things do they need to look out for? Well, uh, as you said in your intro there, um, NPS or Net Promoter Score was developed um, originally by a guy called Frederick Reichelt, I think when he worked for Bain. And it was designed really to probe into business to consumer or B2C relationships. Um, what he did was to come to the conclusion that by asking a question that was based on propensity to recommend, then that would give you, depending on the result you got from that, and essentially that meant if you were scoring a nine out of 10 on a, on a scale of 10 for recommendation, then you were probably doing very well, which would in, in turn tend to suggest that you were more loyal to the organization that was conducting the research. The NPS score comes from looking at the percentage of people when surveyed score 9 or 10 out of 10, minus the percentage of people who score them 0 to 6. 
And the difference between the two is known as the net promoter score. So if you score seven or eight, like frankly, many procurement people do in our experience, then those scores count for nothing. Yes, just to build on what Kerry said, certainly the, the original idea behind NPS was that it should be a survey that's run four, four times a year. Um, certainly in our experience, four times a year for many clients to be on the receiving end of a supplier survey is much too much. Certainly our experience would indicate probably twice a year is absolute maximum that you need to get a decent response. I think also that business relationships are infinitely more complex than consumer relationships. The decision that one makes in one or two seconds whilst walking down a supermarket aisle, whether or not you're going to buy a can of baked beans or cereal, is very, very different from if you're going to provide adequate feedback in terms of a complex business to business relationship. And indeed, a relationship where, for example, it's not the housewife, but there are many stakeholders within a business organisation involved in that relationship. And so what what are the immediate differences that, that we would notice if you were to do a side-by-side comparison of MPS against the, the kind of the relationship audits rich data? Okay, so, so what we do um, is to offer our clients the use of a tool called Relationship Radar. And Relationship Radar, um, Radar is actually an acronym the R stands for relationship, the A for uh, attitude, the D for delivery, the A for added value, and the R for, yes, you guessed it, recommendation. And the point about that is that there are a limited number of KPIs that we ask the recipient of the assessment process to score on a scale of seven or a scale of 10. And the point about it really is that by having more questions, but only a limited amount, so there are only 10 questions, right? But what that does is it gives you a flavour of what's driving any score of propensity to recommend. Because we do ask the recommendation question in what we do, except that we ask more questions. And the interesting thing um, that we've discovered over the years is actually, if you side-by-side test people a split sample where 50% does simply the NPS in the business-to-business relationship evaluation, and 50% uses a tool like our radar tool, the completion rates, the compliance rates are higher for that survey where there are more questions, which may sound counterintuitive, but it reflects people's desire to be able to say more than simply a one score, because that doesn't give enough feedback to the person who has asked for the participant to take part. Simon, you've got a great analogy here about um, the NPS approach and the kind of approach we take. Yeah, well, what I always say is, if a sports coach was denied any access to matchday videos and they were only given their team's games and scores, where would they start to try and improve their team's performance? You need more than just one number to be able to pinpoint where to go and what to do. Is there a big difference between client satisfaction and client commitment? I mean, are they two different things? Yeah, dead right they are. The thing about... Uh, our experience again shows that if you if you ask a question about propensity to recommend, and you base it, you, all your future activity on that one question, what you're really doing is asking a very simple question about the state of a relationship at one moment in time. What we try to do is to give them metrics that will allow them to understand 
the potential for creating more long-term relationships and increasing the level of loyalty. Commitment per se is a far stronger measure of relationship health than simply satisfaction. Just to add to what Kerry said, there are certainly different levels of commitment. What we find is that the most committed clients have a high intention to keep on working with that provider and their opinion of all of their services is extremely high. That's not to say that satisfied clients are not good. Yes, they are. But generally, with every every satisfied client that we'll talk to, that you'll find that there are other areas in which delivery of the service and indeed the relationship can be improved. Um, there are also two other types of clients that we've identified. One is what we call apathetic clients. These are clients working with you because they have to, not because they particularly want to. They can be uh, junior people within an organisation that are not key decision makers, or they can be other international offices that are just told to work with you. But generally, these are not good people to have because they wouldn't want to work with you again. And then you have people that we call in the zone of rejection, and these people really don't, don't want to actually work with you. And they are the opposite of being committed, and they will go out of their way to destabilise a, a relationship. I think one of the interesting things about um, the group of people known as rejectors that Simon has just referenced is that our experience shows that if you can pinpoint what's causing their frustration and angst and dissatisfaction, and then you can fix it, you turn a rejector into what we call an apostle very, very quickly. So the analogy is if you break a bone in your body and it reheals, it typically heals better and is stronger than the bones around it. So if you, so the point about um, this whole area of asking the right questions is that if you can pinpoint what's causing the, the individual to be in the zone of rejection and you could fix it, then you have a stronger relationship than you would have had without that identification of the of any issues. So effectively, what you're talking about here is it's the detail, isn't it? I mean, it's the quality of the de- the the detail that you supply. Are there any common benefits of using a more thorough customer loyalty evaluation process? We'll certainly go back to what we said earlier. The ability to be able to actually pinpoint exactly where you need action and intervention to be able to pinpoint exactly good practice and what's going well is frankly equally as valuable. And also to have quantitative benchmarks that you can compare against previous waves that you may have run, or indeed a lot of our clients will come to us to compare their scores with industry and global averages. The other thing that we were able to do because of the way that we because of the questions we ask and the way that we ask the question, be it online or be it through deep dive interviews, is that what we can also do is to identify opportunities and threats. Now, if you're just using the NPS tool on its own, you can't do that because it's a snapshot in time. So by using the, by having the ability to use data that is more than simply unidimensional, it gives you the opportunity not just to say what's working, what needs attention, but it gives you the opportunity to identify where the opportunities are and where the threats are. And over the years in doing this, we have on many, many occasions identified revenue generating opportunities 
by simply conducting these assessments and identifying the opportunities that lie, if you like, unharvested. No, can, can I just add one other thing? Earlier today, I was giving a debrief to one of our financial services clients. But to be honest, their scores were outstanding. Uh, it was a sample of about six 600 people. But what we were able to do was to actually look at the 20 or 30 people that hadn't scored this firm as well as everybody else. And what we were able to do was to actually isolate what we call marginal gains, areas where you could just tweak the performance a little that would be able to actually improve what are not only great scores to make them outstanding scores. And I have to say with a lot of our clients, they come to us to ensure not that just that problems are resolved, but to maintain peak performance. And you'll only maintain peak performance by constant marginal gains. And what our processes do is enable you to actually pinpoint that. And it almost seems to me like the you know the difference between something like telehealth or you know actually really going to the doctors and having a proper physical examination. I mean, when when is it okay to use something like NPS, and when should people use a, a more rigorous examination like your relationship audits? I think the the NPS thing is best suited to the way that many people use it. You know, so if you have an interaction with your um, cell phone provider, right, and they want to know how you felt about that last interaction on the phone with an with an engineer. If you're like me, as soon as you put the phone down, you get a little text message or whatever saying, "How was that for you?" on a scale of ten. So that when it's an instant and a one-off and a non-recurring transaction, it makes perfect sense to use that. But um, if you were going to go to the uh, to the dentist or the doctor and get an examination, and you and they just asked you one question. You wouldn't feel that you'd really been able to get any kind of diagnosis of what what any potential threats or opportunities were for you in your health. And equally, if you have, if you're a law firm and you've got a major client that's say turning over a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars or pounds a year, is really asking one question enough? I would ask myself if I was a client, am I really really valued? Am am I only worth one question? What we find almost on a daily basis is when we talk to clients, they ask us why we're interviewing them. And they, um, our answer is, well, you're considered a particularly important and valuable and valued client of our client. And the amount of people that go, that go wow, I didn't realise that is actually quite stunning. So, gentlemen, what are the key tips that our listeners can take away from this show in terms of measuring, managing and maximising? Well, we would say this, wouldn't we? But our perspective is that make sure there's nothing wrong with asking a score potentially to recommend, but make sure you ask more than one, simply more than one question. In terms of managing the process, once the questions have allowed you to identify what needs attention or what needs maintenance, make sure that you take active steps, not just to do it, but to merchandise that you're doing it. And and the last thing I'd say in terms of maximizing potential is don't just do this once a year, ask them once and then think you've completed the task. And by the same token, don't ask this four times a year because what you will find is that you'll get dropouts. So try and do the process not more than twice a year. Those responsible for the implementation of client research probably need to remember three things. Firstly, effective and actionable client relationship research needs to go beyond simply asking 
just one question. Secondly, it really needs to go beyond the measurement of just client satisfaction and focus on client commitment. You need to remember that client satisfaction is transient and client commitment is more relationship based. And finally, certainly we would always recommend a mixture of a qualitative and quantitative questions being essential in delivering an in-depth response to really understand how a client relationship is working and how it can be improved. Kerry, Simon, thank you. In our next show, we're going to examine the critical role that client and supplier relationships play when you're either trying to sell a business or buy a business. So join us then as Kerry, Simon and I help you measure, manage and maximise the revenue you already own next time on Special Relationships. If you would like to explore and unlock any hidden growth for your business, you can contact Relationship Audits, email info at relationshipaudits.com or you can find them on the web at relationshipaudits.com. You can even phone them in the UK on 0207 287 1737. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. You're listening to Special Relationships, a show about monetizing and maximizing your existing client relationships. Visit relationshipaudits.com for more information or contact details.